You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vohr. My co-host is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, who is not with me at the moment with the Thanksgiving holidays. We did not record an intro to this episode, but I wanted to hop on real quick and set it up. This week, we talk with Dr. Emily Smith, who is an epidemiologist. And so obviously, as you would expect, we talk a lot about COVID-19 and what it looks like to love our neighbors well during this time, especially over the next couple weeks and months here throughout the holiday season. So uh, just as a quick note, we recorded this conversation on November 23rd. So any references to kind of current spikes or times uh, has to do with kind of based around that date. But other than that, that should be all you need to know. Holly will introduce Emily, obviously, as as usual, and so that should be it. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Emily Smith. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today we have Dr. Emily Smith on. She is a global health epidemiologist and an assistant professor at Baylor University. She's also an adjunct assistant professor at Duke University's Global Health Institute. She received her Master's of Science in Public Health from the University of South Carolina, and her PhD is in Epidemiology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Dr. Smith is a wife, a mom, and relevant to our conversation today, um, her husband is also a pastor. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It is an honor to have you. Is there anything else uh, that you want to share that we missed in your bio? I think that pretty much covers it. Awesome. (laughs) Me in a nutshell. Awesome. I will say it's, we've definitely never had, I mean, we have like, you know, a wide variety of folks on the show, but epidemiologist is a first. So there you go. Breaking some new ground here on the show. I think that's 2020. A lot of a lot of people now know that word and know it's not epidermis. Um, <laughs> you know, are you a skin doctor? Question a lot. So, so epidemiology yeah. sadly is now uh, people know who we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm so excited that we're going to get to learn a little bit more about um, the good work that you and other epidemiologists have been doing um, to serve others through this particular season. So we'll start, I guess, with there. So I will note that back in the spring, you had created a Facebook page that was entitled Friendly Neighbor Epidemiologists that I think um, I I would imagine that at least some of our listeners have come across at this point. But you've been doing some really good work with this page and with this um, and, and with the information that you've been sharing with us, particularly around sharing good and helpful information that's related to COVID-19 and waves of, of trustful information related to this pandemic in a way that really anyone can understand. So if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about the background of the page, you know, why you created it, maybe what led you to doing this work that you are doing today? Sure. Um, yeah, it started, you know, when we started hearing murmurings of a potential pandemic. And you he- we hear about this in epidemiology and in grad school, we read books about it, you know, the movies come out. And, and so we know it's not far-fetched. And so many of us, when we started hearing what was happening in Wuhan, um, your ears perk up a little bit because you realize this has the potential to be bad. And then it, it when it came to the, to the U.S. and the first lockdown happen or there are murmurings of a lockdown, there was a lot of talk about flattening the curve and r knots and infection incubation period and what? So I had lots of questions from just family and friends of what is happening and do we need to take it seriously or are we over-exaggerating? So I started, I started the page, Friendly Neighbor Epidemiologist, just based on that. 
And I remember in the first post, there were, you know, 20 people that liked it. And I felt like Beyonce. (laughs) (laughs) People are reading this and it seems helpful. Um, And then it started catching steam a little bit more of just, you know, distilling the pandemic and the science talk in a way that, um, that my grandparents and family could understand um, Mm -hmm. and neighbors could understand school officials that I was talking to at the time. So I, I honestly thought that it would last a few months and in retrospect, Mm. you know, if, if we would have had the response that was the proper public health response, it would have, it should not have lasted this long and we shouldn't be in this um, predicament. And we can talk lots of reasons for that, but there, we should not be here. So I kind of thought it would run its course after a few months and it just continues. Um, And with that has, has come shifting from not only talking about the pandemic and the science of it, but early, early on, I, I weaved a little bit of faith of a post called who is our neighbor. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to COVID-19, you know, our neighbor, we heard a lot of the high risk older people, people with some chronic conditions, but at the time we didn't know how broad that was. But I was also trying to make a point of our neighbor or people across town from us with how infectious this thing is. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of my first faith one. There's a lot of solidarity around that. And then, uh, you know, you gain more followers along the way. And now we're what, seven months in and there's about one to two million people that interact with the site per month. Wow. And I've continued to talk about faith and I'm sure we will unpack what that means now. But, you know, I think it has struck a chord to just talk about the science in a way that can be understandable. Um, But Mm -hmm. lately, over the past month, it's really struck a chord as a faith community where there are a lot of people in the U.S. saying, hold up, this doesn't look like Jesus anymore. And so to, Mm -hmm. to kind of be a voice to that. Yeah, no. Maybe it's my Enneagram. Yeah. I have a strong two wing. I was wondering. <laughs> I, I, I've been wondering. So for our listeners, Emily and I, I mentioned we we're both at Baylor, but we've, you know, been talking for quite a while. And when I see some of your stuff, I'm like, yeah, I I could see that there's some two, but you don't identify yeah. with type two. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a three or a nine. Is nine the justice one? Uh, one is the justice one. Is, one. Well, uh-huh. see, clearly, Holly, I need to set up an appointment with you to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I have some tendencies. That's amazing. I love that. Well, we can definitely talk about that. We'll we'll find a time soon for you and I to chat. But um, I I love you know just your heart behind creating this page and you know and even for me, I mean, transparently, I know that your page has been incredibly helpful for me and my family. I remember reaching out to you earlier on when we were trying to decide, you know, what should we do around like kids with school and, you know, and we had some questions around that. And, you know, you've just been such a grounding, peaceful, accurate, loving presence, I think, around COVID information and um, the science and the faith piece that, you know, it's really kind of what led Robert and I to want to bring you on today to, t- to talk about this. So so I just am really grateful for for what you have been doing, particularly with that, that page. Yeah. You had just mentioned, you know, talking about um, like faith communities too and how you've started talking a little bit more around the role of faith and uh, and how that plays into this. And I did recently get to hear you speak on a webinar that Truett Seminary hosted, primarily for pastors, but also for congregants as well, talking about, you know, how can we navigate this current surge and what are some practices to consider, especially as we move into, you know, the Advent season and the Christmas holidays and and, and other holidays as well. And so, if you could, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about why it is, you know, so important for churches to be thinking about COVID these days. Yeah. And why it looks different than beginning. Cause at, at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, I, I met with, with pastors from all over, you know, Episcopal, Church of Christ, AME, uh, pastors, Hispanic congregations, Baptist churches and associations. And 
And when this was early in the pandemic of this is why we're shutting down and this is how we can love our neighbor. And there was such a sense of solidarity of just saying, yes, we're going to, we're going to do that across the board. Um, And then a month or two passed and I continued to hold, uh, to have some meetings with quite a few of them. Um, And I started seeing the split happen with churches where all of a sudden COVID became political. We all saw it too, Mm -hmm. right? Anybody, everyone saw it. It became political and then it became political religious. I'm not, I'm not sure if there's a word for that. Mm -hmm. Someone smarter might have Mm -hmm. a word, but I started seeing this divide in the pastors of there were some churches who, when I would say, this is what loving our neighbor means. This is why masking needs to be mandatory. Even when it looks like you're overreacting. This is why you should go the extra mile instead of just one mile. We go two as Christians for social distancing and not proving ourselves with trying to to meet and beat it back by prayer, beat it by COVID back by prayer. Mm-hmm. There were some who just got that from the beginning, unwavering. And God, God bless you, because I know who you are mm. from all over the country. And then there were some that started pushing back in some significant ways of, um, Emily, I have to toe the line because I have, and I don't, I I don't, everything right now sounds political. So my disclaimer is I don't mean to be political. (laughs) (laughs) COVID. I, I had a lot of pushback from churches saying, I am, have a conservative congregation that are hearing that mask or sign of, of tyranny, mask are a sign of they're trying to, it, you know, it'll re, it'll hurt your oxygen levels and everything. I mean, tons of conspiracy theories. And so they were hearing a lot of backlash about mask for that. At the same time, they're listening kind of to what science and what I was saying. And so their middle line was, depending on how conservative sometimes their congregation was, they're going to chance it and say, wear a mask if you feel comfortable. Um, and then I started seeing or hearing more from people at the pulpit. And this is not just one church. I'm talking in general, Big C Church. There were some that were saying, I understand you feel uncomfortable. This is when we were still on virtual. Mm-hmm. You know, you you if you don't feel comfortable coming to church, it is okay. But man, it feels good to be back in the building. And those of you that are here, we're going to stand on faith against COVID. And then they start praying. And I was like, what is happening because it it was almost an unconscious shaming for people that wanted to stay home, either because they didn't want to risk it for their families or they didn't want to risk it for, you know, people across town. And mm. we're, we're take, going that extra mile. So I started hearing hearing smatterings of that, especially for those of us in the South and Texas. And then you, you fast forward a few more weeks and we hear about John MacArthur's church. Um, and this is in California. It's where, you know, you couldn't meet at church at all. Um, and they were just going in defiance and saying, nothing can stop us. And we're, basically we're going to go to church. Hmm. But they did that almost by trying to prove something with no masking and no distancing, full choir, orchestra. It's not just his church either. There's other churches that are like that. And it almost became this sense of proving our faith. The government can't control us. I mean, I've heard it all. (laughs) Hmm. And then you start seeing big churches continuing to meet, or we have these really big worship rallies that are going around the country. Um, Sean Voigt is leading a lot of these, but we also have Mm -hmm. the prayer rally that happened in D.C. in September. Uh, Michael W. Smith was there. I mean, these huge worship leaders that we have probably all grown up with are there and there's no sense of masking or distancing in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So the progression, it, the needle keeps moving on the divide. You know, some churches are, have held the line from the beginning of we are going to love our neighbor, even when it looks weird, we're going to build the boat like Noah, even when it looks like we're crazy because the rain's coming or 
we are going to prove people can't take away our faith or people can't take away our freedom. And that has done some significant damage to the Christian community. We can talk about witness in a minute, but but also just physical lives of just not not doing the job of protecting or being part of a a false narrative around COVID. Um, mm-hmm. That it's 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 all weaved in together with the conspiracy theories now. So it's really hard to distill uh, what's true or not for people. Um, no. So that's where I've seen it. Now, along that those lines, I started receiving messages of it's shame on you for um, for saying we can't go to church, which I never did. I just said, put on a mask and distance, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then started getting some pretty threatening things. We had a, a really bad threat with like the mark of the beast. 99% aren't dying from this mentality at our house. Um, and a lot of things in between that I, I maybe I will share in a year. Uh, we don't really have time for that with where we are in the pandemic. So mm-hmm. it's not the point, but I've, I've seen it. And the part that is hard for me is we all know that there are fringe church members, meaning they only come two to three times a year, right? Sometimes those people are the most vocal to the pastors about the color of the carpet. And they, they don't really come. So we're used to that, um, especially as a, a pastor's family. I'm used to those type of things. What I'm not used to is receiving messages from devout faith leaders and church members that go all the time sending me messages like that, too, or conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And so I we can't make the excuse that, well, there's not that many of them. Um, cause that's just not true at this point. So that was a lot of information. <laughs> no, I yeah. mean, it was, that was super helpful. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you in one sense, there's what you've just described where kind of, okay, we're just being rebellious and whatever, like conspiracy theory type things. But then there's also, I think the reality for some folks where, you know, kind of the difference between an acute response and like a prolonged response, right? Where like, hey, if you say stay locked in your house for two weeks, one month, like I can adjust my life around that. But we're coming up on, I think you said seven months, but I think it's probably actually like we're in year 46 of this thing yeah. where yeah. like <laughs> we do at some point, people say like, hey, I, I, acute responses aren't aren't sustainable for some things, right? So is there kind of a difference that you see in uh, those types of situations where, you know, one person's saying, hey, what the heck, this is all a, a big fake hoax thing or whatever. And then someone else is saying like, hey, I totally understand, but I I have to figure out how to interact with people because I live alone or like those types of things where it's like, hey, I just, there's, there's very real other concerns here. Yeah. Oh man. God bless the pastors these days. Yes. Because there are the extremes of what I'm talking about. These huge churches in California, one in Oklahoma City just met as well. Um, and doing it in defiance and doing it almost to prove a point with packing in 10,000 members. Um, and so there's that extreme, but there's a whole lot of pastors and churches that have tried to do this from the beginning and have done a, a wonderful job of, look, I'm in a conservative area in Tennessee um, we cannot shut down for seven months at a time. It's just for our mental health aspect of it and caring for our congregation. Schools are open, right? Everything else is open. Mm-hmm. So why can't church? And I've said from the beginning, this is not about boarding up your house and never leaving, right? It's not about shutting down church altogether. It's it's doing what we can inside the church to love our neighbor, which is really simple of masking and distancing, not having full choirs, not having orchestras. So there is a middle ground. And many, many pastors have done a phenomenal job at taking some heat, you know, to actually get to that middle ground. Um, So I I think you're right. I think the the middle portion of how do we meet in church well, um, there are a lot of pastors out there. At the same time, there are a lot of pastors in churches who have lost their jobs or have left their church because they've tried to do the middle ground of 
um, masking at all times and distancing and their congregation has just said no. And I, I hear a lot from these pastors in messages, a lot, and mm. they feel isolated. Um, so if, you know, if one of them are listening, I just, you're not by yourself if you've had that experience. You know, our family is in a time of transition as well because of COVID um, with church. And so those type of costly decisions that churches, especially conservative ones, have had to make have had real life implications for families. Uh, that I do, though, want to make the distinction that there are churches who say that they're masking, say that they're doing the public health precautions and actually are not. And, you know, I've, I have been talking about this for months on my site, but if a church requires masking coming in and out of the building, but not in the sanctuary and has singing and orchestras or just no mask in the sanctuary with or without social distancing, that's just not loving our neighbors. So there, it feels like there's 20 different types of churches out there. And I, I want to be clear of, uh, the ones that have taken the science seriously look different than the ones that have. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. And I, I really, I do love that you keep, you know, going back to this piece on loving our neighbors. And I know that you are not saying that flippantly by any mean at all. In fact, I know that you've written some posts specifically about that and tying into um, some verses that you're grounding that from. Do you want, do you mind talking a little bit about that? Yes. And, And I grew up charismatic in a charismatic church. And so a lot of my friends, my pastoral colleague friends are Uh, pastors in charismatic churches. And so we grew up hearing Psalm 91 and pleading the blood of Jesus. And so when the pandemic started getting all crazy, my kids, I think were just used to coming into the kitchen while I'm cooking supper and I am praying Psalm 91 (laughs) out loud. Hmm. And that standing on, on faith and angels being around us. And I, I wholeheartedly believe in the power of the blood of Jesus and the cross. What I started seeing is sometimes that verse was being used from the pulpit as we are going to pray against this. And it, you know, probably earnest prayers, uh, it, but it was not matched with the wisdom of what we're seeing on the ground with COVID. And so the, I think the post mm-hmm. you're alluding to was it made me remember um, when Jesus was taken up to the temple And Satan, during the temptations and Satan was telling him, you know, throw yourself down. Your angels will catch you. You will be fine. He was quoting Psalm 91 Mm. and Jesus could have, he, I mean, he's Jesus. He could have proved himself and done a big fireworks show, but he had the wisdom to know the merging of the rest of, um, of what his mission was. And so he said, no, like he had nothing to prove. And so my way of doing that was juxtaposing the Psalm 91 and these prayers against COVID, which I, you know, we're all doing Mm -hmm. with Galatians 5 of the entire law can be summed up as love your neighbor as yourself. Don't use your freedom as a way to essentially prove yourself. And so that that's where holding the here and not yet. The as Christians, we are made whole, we are a new creation, but we also know that there are groanings like in Romans of that is that is not perfect yet, and it won't be until Jesus comes back or we go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so it's just the wisdom to know that, to know that we can we can do both. We can be faith filled on Psalm 91, but faithful to the gospel and live Galatians 5. I love that. I thought you did such a good job articulating that. I mean, A, in your post, but then also in the webinar that I heard and the call that you had for Christians in particular to be leading the way um, with this. I know you had started alluding to this a little bit before, but but for for Christians to be really leading the way around this, particularly as the as we see this most recent surge and the numbers climbing, I think it's just such a beautiful, wholehearted, authentic call for us. Yeah. 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 And it, 
in a way it look it makes us look kind of silly because it looks like we are reacting before the rain comes but all indications show that this surge is going to be worse than the other ones and you know many of us are in areas where we are already seeing the reality of that mm-hmm. so leading the way out means going the extra mile you know if you're shutting down your church to go virtual again if you're moving outside if you are finally masking all the time and social distancing, you'll probably take some heat in this this political climate and where we are right now around COVID. And I know that's true because just this week I've had uh, several churches email and say, you know, based on the webinar, we've taken that to heart and then this is what we're doing. And they're receiving some significant feedback and people leaving the church mm. and in small churches, you know, one or two that leave makes an impact financially on these families and the church, but um, that just also as a whole. So leading the way out is going to be costly, but I, time will tell why that is necessary and how that is viewed upon, you know, in a month or two. Yeah. And I would love for the churches to lead the way out. And I get... <sighs> Maybe I'll quit crying about this one section (laughs) at some point, but, you know, I grew up uh, with family in West Texas and the Lubbock and Amarillo and Midland and hospitals in the Panhandle are just full. And there Mm. are tent cities there. Just this morning I saw where several medical centers got together their healthcare workers and they made this video pleading for people to just stay home for Thanksgiving to take it seriously and all of that. At the same time, there's still some very large churches open with no precautions. Hmm. And I want deeply for Christians to be remembered during this time that We heard the call to love our neighbor, and we were the ones to step up. And I I see that increasing. I hear it increasing. But I also see where that is not being done in places that need it the most. And, you know, we see it in our area, too. We're in Waco, and some churches are taking this surge that we're seeing just here in Waco seriously, Mm -hmm. and others are not. Yeah. 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 I think I, I really love how you elevate to how you elevated just now, you know, the healthcare workers. I mean, you know, our listeners know I'm in social work. I have so many friends who work in hospital settings who are social workers and, you know, seeing, even though they're not, you know, I mean, it's just the impact that this is having on our healthcare workers the long while they're trying to serve and care for you know those who come in to their to their midst for them to care for it's i mean it's really wearing on our doctors and our nurses and our social workers and the staff and um, and their families and and i think paying attention and remembering they are as much of our neighbors as the people across yeah. town as the people who live next door as you know our colleagues as our fellow congregation members i mean these are all our neighbors to be cared yes. for yeah even more so because they are around you know their risk is is much higher when there's a lot of patients to take care for yeah so yeah i mean they they are about to, you know, to probably fight a battle that is worse than what they've seen before. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this, right? For churches and faith communities that are saying, okay, look, we, we want to take this seriously. We want to do the, the right things to love our neighbors well, all of that. But also we understand that people, their faith communities are important to them. Those are places where they find community and, and meaning and things like that. What are some practical ways coming up that churches and faith communities can protect the vulnerable and care for one another well, kind of in the the next upcoming season and moving forwards? Yes. Um, and I, I get this because the we go to a, a new church that meets outdoors, still mask and distancing. And I was, I was talking to the pastor and I was just telling him, I need to come to church. I need to 
physically come <laughs> as mm. long as I can. Um, and I want to, and I understand when he shuts that down, then yes, we will, we will go with it. So I think practically is if you live in a, the part of the country that still has good weather, which we're in Texas, it's nice. Uh, California is nice. Florida, you know, those are examples to move the congregation outside because we know the risk is lower outside and still do distancing. I would encourage masking with as high as the positivity rates are in most of the U.S. Even if you're outside, you still need to do masking and distancing. I think practically if you're in a part of the country where it it is cold um, and you meet indoors, then, then just distance and limit capacity to 25%. Many of you are probably already doing that and just masking all the time. And, you know, I think if we can help people redefine the goal and make it funny, meaning here's how not to wear a mask, right? Put it over your nose and don't put it Mm -hmm. (laughs) on your ear. I think if we can redefine it as we're going to do this as a sacrifice and joy Um, then that can help kind of tone down the temperature around mask, especially at this point. So, so those are my non-negotiables. I, unfortunately, I also think that the cases in most of the U S are so high and they're increasing at such an exponential rate that I think that we are beyond the point of, well, what about children's ministry? And what about if, you know, five youth meet here in X, Y, and Z. I mean, all of those details that mm-hmm. two months ago were wonderful to talk about. This next month uh, through January, those type of details are, are really not going to move the needle too much. So practically, mm-hmm. just mask at all times. Um, if you feel like you're overreacting on when you cancel certain things, you are doing it at just the right time. Does that help, Robert? Mm-hmm. Is that practical enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, what you said right there at the end, that's been one of the things that has been really interesting to see kind of, you know, as I'm someone who has, like you were mentioning, all of a sudden learned about epidemiology, right? But like, if if it seems, you know, at some point we look backwards and say like, oh, we must have overreacted, that actually probably is an indication that no, we did it right because mm-hmm. these things didn't happen, right? Um, and so uh, I think that's good to to emphasize there in case, and, you know, people are saying, oh, well, you did all this and then nothing even happened. You're like, yeah, that's, that's that was the, the point. That's the, point. Like, yeah. that's the goal. But that makes it so hard. You know, it's kind of this like we can't prove a negative type thing that, you know, we see in, in mental health as well. We're like, well, we don't see anything. So d- did we do it right? Or is there no problem? You know? Mm-hmm. Right. And we'll see that in you know, next year when, when we get to, we get the vaccines, please ask me about hope. Cause I do want to share about all of that at some point here. Mm-hmm. No, for <laughs> sure. Point when we will look back and know, oh, we weren't overreacting. The rain actually was coming. And so I, you know, I, I think having some encouragement there to just know that that is the right time and to do it. I also think Another practical way from the pulpit and just from ministers and probably Christians in general is to to shift the conversation from 2020 being a dumpster fire, which I'm not negating that at all. Good <laughs> <laughs> Lord, it's, uh, it's frustrating. I, I just get that. It's fine to own up that. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe to redefine instead of how hard it is to to speak with the hope portion of it. I can't remember who it was, but some a quote in a book I was reading says we can cry and hope at the same time. And mm-hmm. what I would love for people to do is to let the both and be okay. The here and not yet of it is a dumpster fire. Meeting in person is ideal and beautiful and hugging and all of that. But then adding on the hope of, but the hope of witness and the hope of Jesus and the hope of glory is why we do those things. And so it's not negating, it's not negating the tears and the pain and the crying. It's just adding in the hope portion that, I mean, honestly, that has been the part where when my husband reminds me of the hope during the crying times, that's when I go, oh, Jesus will, he will be seen at some point through this. And he's probably crying with us. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's another practical way is to redefining the both and 
if that makes sense. Y'all can probably no, it, yeah. no, no. I think that's I think what you how you explained it is perfect. I mean, we definitely talk on this show quite a bit about needing the both and, um, especially mm-hmm. around this intersection of faith and mental health, because we can't jump to hope in a way that bypasses or skips the pain because that's not helpful or if we're stuffing the pain or anything. But we do need to find ways to stretch so that we can hold capacity for both of those emotions as well as many other complex emotions that are woven into the hard things that we navigate as humans. And so I think think you explained it beautifully. And I am glad that you elevated hope because, you know, we have talked – about some sobering information that has been tied to this. And we and we can't, again, we can't negate or skip how how difficult this is, the rising numbers that you talked about, um, the ways in which this is spreading quickly. And in light, you know, of also seeing that there are opportunities for people to want to gather together, whether it's in their faith communities or with families for holidays or things like that. But but having that sobering reality alongside that the need for hope too is so important. So, you know, I I know that you have given some beautiful encouragement to faith leaders and to everyday folks, um, especially thinking about, you know, how mental health and isolation and things like that um, can be, you know, we're, that we're navigating those pieces too. So I, I would be curious, Dr. Smith, like what, what, what are some words of wisdom or encouragement, what words of encouragement or wisdom would you share to our listeners as they're thinking about the weeks ahead? Yes. Well, we have some fantastic news on the vaccine front from multiple vaccines. And and I already know there's conspiracy theories circulating about that. So uh, the the 10-second encouragement on the vaccines is that they have gone through the scientific rigor that is needed to make sure that they are safe. And then the results of how well they work is astonishing. I heard Dr. Fauci say that too, and that made me even more excited because he's he's the expert in all this. And so mm-hmm. those are now going under emergency use authorization. You might have heard that term in the news, which means we can start getting rollouts to high-risk people and healthcare providers, maybe in December, he said. And then it will start rolling out to other groups in January and in February. So when we talk about relief is coming, um, that there is herd immunity that could be achieved, and that can only be achieved through vaccine ethically, we're not that far away from that in terms of months. Mm. Unfortunately, we have to get through some of winter months, which, you know, mental health wise is just hard for a lot of us. And then on top of holidays and Advent, we have to get through that season to to get to that hope. Mm. Um, This next surge probably won't peak until late January, maybe even further, uh, depending on cases that go up within the next few weeks. But once we start seeing that vaccine come out and people start taking it, we will see it take effect. Um, And, you know, it's not going to be instantaneous, but it it will work. So this time next year is going to look so much different. May of next year is mm. going to look so different. I think February will, um, just because we will will have some vaccines um, already deployed. So maybe in dog years of how 2020 feels, it's only a few more days. <laughs> Although yeah. in real life aspects, it we have some hurdles to go through to get there. Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, that's interesting because I know kind of originally, uh, you know, this like hashtag flatten the curve was kind of the stated goal. And then uh, I think, you know, where some people were like, wait, what ha- what's happening now is we either did that or didn't do that well. I, I actually don't know that I could say, uh, mm-hmm. but then it was like, well, we're still here months and months later. Like, you know, it was kind of uh, at least the original messaging was like, let's do this thing kind of, again, acute response. Um, and so I like what you're saying about like, hey, we're we're back in this period of there is something in sight. There's different things. It's not just here's your life now. And then people say, well, okay, forget that. I, I'm going to go do whatever, right? Like, but no, there is a 
thing yeah. that we're working towards, we can kind of mm-hmm. see that we, you know, we know where we're headed, which I think does shift back to some of the hope as opposed to like, well, it's just exhausting to be stuck in this weird holding pattern. And therefore I like lose all my willpower to do, you know, to not go grocery shopping or, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I, man, I get that. That's why I thought my Facebook site would only be a few months long because <laughs> we have mm-hmm. a health playbook of this thing. I mean, this is not the first rodeo for epidemics. And so the testing and contact tracing and the plans that were put in place were legit. In fact, we see a microcosm of those plans work when you think of universities. Like Baylor has done a phenomenal mm-hmm. job. Clemson, Duke. Uh, it's because they followed the playbook. And it's yeah. simple. It is not rocket science. It is simple testing and tracing. And that was not done on a national level, which is why the goalpost kept shifting. Mm-hmm. And it's also why there's so much pandemic fatigue. And I get <laughs> I get that. And I'm an epidemiologist. <laughs> that, yeah. You know, we've been in this for so much longer. You know, Emily, now you're saying hold up until we get the vaccine. But uh, once the vaccine, the vaccine can overcome pandemic fatigue. Uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. just science, what our bodies and herd immunity is going to do. But I understand so much the fatigue and all of this, you know, and the toll that that's taken on people's livelihood and people have lost jobs and there's worry and stress. So, so I'm not at all trying to minimize that. Right. With this next hope. Yeah. 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 That's good. You know, there's a lot of folks listening, or I imagine almost everyone, right? Even if you are a faith leader, that who uh, you're, they're trying to decide. Okay, what about kind of family gatherings? And you know, everyone's situation is unique. Obviously, you know, if it's like, hey, this is the last chance that maybe I'll have to see a family member or not or whatever. But what advice would you give to uh, people listening who are trying to navigate some of those those decisions in terms of should I gather, should I not, should I travel, all those types of things? Yeah. I think a month ago, I would have answered this a little bit differently and probably spent way too much time Mm. on the nuances. Mm. With the pandemic looking like it is right now, you know, in in two weeks, we've had 1.82 million new cases. And those are confirmed cases. And there's a delay in, Mm -hmm. you know, because of the incubation period and we don't have enough testing. So two weeks from now, we will see the impact of those on our healthcare workers. And in three weeks from that will be the deaths. And those two weeks are, are just keep compounding and rolling on one another. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, it's very, very risky to do any type of family gathering without your immediate family. The only exception I have is if all parties have quarantine and that's legit quarantine, right? <laughs> that's not, I went one time to go eat with a buddy Mm. um, three days ago indoors. That's, but everything else I've stayed home, that's not a quarantine. And so if your family is in that case where everybody's actually done a legit quarantine for two weeks, then you can make that decision on whether or not you meet indoors or not. You know, I, I haven't seen my family for nine months at this point. Actually, Mm. it might be longer than that. Um, Mm. I probably quit. And we've just made the decision to to wait a little bit longer until they they can get that vaccine, um, and then we will. So I and that's hard. I mean, that's that's a lot of tears to do that. Even trying the best we can by making Thanksgiving Zoom mm-hmm. and doing crafts with our kids with the grandparents, I I just have to leave the room and cry sometime. And and I think that's okay. For P- and Holly, you wrote this on mm. I shared with my site of normalizing that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I can't overemphasize how risky it is right now to meet with extended family. If you do choose to meet, a good CDC study just came out that showed a family get togethering, a large one of, you know, fifteen people, half stayed together in one big house, and the other half just came for the day. And the ones that came for the day stayed outside the whole time and remained distant six feet, but they didn't wear a mask. None of them got sick that were the day trippers, but several of the ones that stayed in the same house got sick. So Mm -hmm. if you meet outdoors, you can, and you're in a climate that can do that. 
then stay six feet away. Make sure that you tell the kiddos to continue to do that because like mine, they're going to want to go and hug. Mm-hmm. Grandma. Yeah. So on the safe side, I just wouldn't chance it. And we're not. I mean, we, we're we not chancing it this year. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I, I think we are going to see the same thing at Christmas. I'm getting a lot of questions about, well, what about Christmas time? And can we do a candlelight service or can I go ahead and book a plane ticket for Christmas? Um, yeah. I think it is going to look worse than what it does today for Christmas time. So, if, you know, if that helps planning wise, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's helpful. I mean, we, it's been very similar, you know, lots of tears around not getting to see family. My family has moved into Texas since this pandemic started and I still haven't gotten to see my parents um, since, and it's hard, um, but clinging to that sense of hope and knowing that, you know, I, trusting we really, we will have that chance to be together again has been helpful. Emily, we one thing we do love to ask our guests, um, especially in light of all of the good work that you have done. And I mean, I know, you know, this is not part of your, you know, 10-year requirement expectations at Baylor to, to do this work with the, the site and and these the ways in which you've been translating this research for so many folks. But but I know, I know that it's a it's quite a bit of work. And so I would love to hear. Um, what your hope is for this work that you're doing? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, one, I hope that faith and science can be seen as motivations on each other. Because it's, you know, it's really interesting. My Facebook feed is in the faith world and my Twitter feed is in the science world. It's it's a professional Mm -hmm. page. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see both a verbiage around this, which are vastly different by and large. I'm in the conservative Texas area. And so my hope is that more and more people can see that you can do both. You know, my science is motivated by my faith. And I get messages from students and, you know, Christian students that say, I didn't know you could be a scientist and a Christian. And on the other side, I get messages of, oh, I didn't know that you could be a Christian uh, or a, a Christian and a scientist. I think mm-hmm. I said that right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and merging those two in a, in a time of witness is what my hope is. Because um, the science world is watching us. The non-Christian world is watching our response to this. And I see both of that. So, so that is my hope. We can do both. We can, you know, be excellent in our our work, and that's motivated from Jesus. I also think that one of the biggest things that I'm learning, and this is probably faith leaders too, is Sabbath is so important. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. It's easy right now in a world that is loud uh, and moving at, I mean, it feels like I do a post and then five things against that come out very quickly and I have to start all over again (laughs) (laughs) and recognizing, you know, I, at the beginning of this, I drove myself sick um, because I just was in reactive response mode. Uh, And thankfully through just kind of being laid out for a few days, I realized, nope, Sabbath is a time I will do my work in excellence And then stepping back and taking a day or two or a week of Sabbath and realizing he calls it good and God can multiply. It takes, it takes the pressure off of us to fix this situation. Uh, And it also allows me to, you know, to, to cry and grieve at the injustice of, of a lot of what we're seeing. Yeah. So that is my hope. My hope is that, we can merge faith and science and the non-Christians can see us take a break and be okay and trust in a faithful God through non-hustling. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think that might resonate with some of the faith leaders because I do hear from a lot of them lately and their families of how exhausting this is. Um, so I'm just trying to encourage more and more of the beauty of quiet and of Sabbath. I think Advent coming up is a beautiful way to to quiet ourselves and to 
you know, to trust in what he did in a, in a manger. He didn't come out with fireworks. <laughs> so it's probably a timely Advent time for all of us. Yeah. I love that. Mm. So I love all of that. I mean, when you said my science is motivated by my faith, I get it. I know that's been such a big part of the work I've done too. And every bit of what you are saying about Sabbath and rest I mean, I, oh gosh, I'm just so grateful to know you, Emily, and to be connected with you. And I'm so excited for our listeners to know you too. So to our listeners, if you would like to connect with Dr. Emily Smith, you can find her at emily-smith.net, or um, you can find her on Facebook or Instagram at Friendly Neighbor Epidemiologist. And we'll have the links for those in the show notes. If you'd like to connect with Robert, you can find him at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. And you can connect with the show all over as well um, with CXMH. But Dr. Smith, thank you so, so much for joining yeah. us today, for your wisdom, your loving heart and spirit and everything that you do. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners today? No, I just appreciate coming on. And no, I, I just want to encourage these faith leaders. I, you know, when I was running this morning, I was thinking that the ones that are sending me messages right now, and there are a lot of them, the sentiment is, I feel like I'm the only one in my city doing this or that type of sentiment. And I want to encourage you that you are not alone, that what I am seeing is a chorus um, across the nation and across denominations of people standing up uh, and coming together. And we're, we won't see that for a little bit. It is getting louder. Um, but if you, if you do feel alone and isolated in your families, then just know there are a lot, and I wish I could connect everybody, but there are a lot that feel like you. So just, you know, hold firm, cry and hope at the same time. Uh, and we and my family and I pray for you every morning, <laughs> every day. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com. 